Hello and welcome to another edition of Baseball and Beyond. I'm your host, Brad Strobinger, and thank you for subscribing. Hope you enjoyed the first two episodes. This is the first new show to be posted. Those first two episodes were test shows where I used a couple of my old favorite interviews I did back in the past. But from here on out, brand new interviews, hopefully once or twice a week. Here's what the show is going to be. Primarily, baseball interviews with former players and current analysts. We're going to try to get these folks to tell us interesting and amusing stories from the past. The main focus will be the stories. That's what I want to hear. That's what I love to hear. But we'll also take a look at the current landscape of baseball as well. And we could possibly go beyond baseball, meaning you never know who we might talk to. Could be a hockey great, could be a football legend, maybe an entertainer passing through town. And real quickly about your host, 15 seconds on me. My name's Brad. Thanks for listening again. I've been in broadcasting since 1993, started with a cable access show. Maybe you saw it from St. Louis. I've been around the Cardinals since 1996 in various different roles. I traveled with them for Fox Sports Midwest, so I know a bunch of these guys, and I know they've got great stories, and hopefully we'll be picking up many great former Cardinals and other baseball guys along the way, and I appreciate you joining us for this podcast. We're going to kick off episode number three with the mad Hungarian himself, Al Roboski. Hi, Al. How excited are you to be part of this? Brad, it is my first venture into podcast. Hopefully it'll be my last. Me too. Hopefully this is not the last one we do. I want to thank the Trip Daddies. You're a big fan of the Trip Daddies. Oh, I, I definitely am, but I said I hope it is my last. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we are, this is going to be a five-part series. You sure it will. Yeah. And now, you have a lot of things that have been interesting in your career. Let's start when you were born. Just kidding. Who came up with the Mad Hungarian? Was that, was that someone, or did you come up with that, the nickname? I mean, it is awesome to have a nickname. How did you get the nickname? Who gave it to you? Uh, Jerry Lovelace. And Jerry was our PR director back in the, in the 70s. Um, I had a lot of nicknames, but this is a family program, so we can't use them. And I earned all of them, too. But, um, you know, I was a lot of times because of my last name, Roboski. It ends with a Y, but everyone thinks it's an I, and so it would be called the Polak and this and that. And, and the Polish people are wonderful. We're all neighbors in Eastern Europe. Wait, wait, wait. One minute in, we're going to start making fun. This is not, we're not a Trump podcast, Al. I said, I said they are very nice people, <laughs> and, but I was proud to be of Hungarian heritage. And one day, uh, you know, and then like, you know, Mad Dog was, was associated with me, and, but that was Lee Thomas, you know, our, our traveling secretary at the time, you know, who had a nice temper and everything else. But, but um, so one day I was walking by Jerry's office and he, and he yelled out, M.H. And you know, even I stopped and said, M.H., what's that? And he goes, Mad Hungarian. I said, oh, I like that. But it was, what was really interesting was, you know, when it started getting round that I was, you know, the mad Hungarian, I'd have writers come up and almost be apologetic and say, look, I don't want to offend you or get you, make you mad or something, you know, but I see the mad Hungarian. I go, use it. You know, when you got a name like Roboski, most people can't pronounce it. Most people can't. Shannon still can't. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, most people, it just, and last name just says a name, you know, where if you have something colorful like the mad Hungarian, and I kind of envisioned somebody just kind of going through the newspaper, not a real sports fan. If Roboski saves a game, he keeps on going. If you see something about the mad Hungarian does his thing and saves a game, then they may be intrigued. So I thought it said a lot about me uh, without really having to get into my personality very much. 
lot of our younger listeners, I, I have no idea if we have listeners yet, Al, but you had the antics. You went behind the mound. You did this whole thing to psych yourself up. Where did that start? Was that in the minors? Did that start in the majors? And just tell me a little bit about the, the genesis of getting that going. Well, I was going through some marital problems and stuff and, and you know, I'm going in the ballpark and, you know, my mind's wandering. I'm coming in in a save situation and I don't even know where I'm even in the ballpark and uh, really was struggling. And Jack Buck came up to me one day and said, Ted Simmons saved you. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you know, they were getting ready to send you down. This is when the broadcasters knew everything. You know, sometimes they knew things before Red knew, you know, Jack. Arian, we're going to send you down. <laughs> well, he's, and he said, uh, Ted Simmons saved you. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they were getting ready to send you down. And somebody asked Ted, what's wrong with Al? And he goes, don't worry about it. He'll figure it out. So I kind of knew that I was on borrowed time. And what I kind of came up with was this key to my concentration. You know, go behind the mound and, and uh, you know, collect my thoughts. And um, one was visualization where I'd, you know, visualize myself winding up. I had a very herky-jerky, fast motion. And, uh, you know, like my little checkpoints that would keep me in line. And see this and see a positive reaction of a swing and miss. And then I tried to duplicate it, you know, uh, physically, what I just did mentally. Um, and it, it was really the first time I remember doing it, you know, was Steve Garvey was up. And I wanted to throw this ball down and away perfect and everything. And all of a sudden the ball went right there. And it seemed like I had an, another foot or two of life on, the, on my fastball. And, and I was like, wow, you know, what is this? So it kind of, you know, evolved from there. But it evolved because of kind of failure. And was it an act after that, though? Did it become an act, or was that really what you were in 1979, 80, Reggie Jackson? Is it now part of the Mad Hungarian, or is that still, hey, that's, I mean, because become, you become big with this, this uh, thing that you're doing behind the mound. Well, I mean, I could, I could see um, some hitters, you know, it, it, it affected them. And they took it as a you know a personal challenge, which was oh I was trying to make it every bat a personal challenge to me against the hitter. But they would do things against me that they would not do in any other bat. They go to bat 600 times, maybe face me six times a year, and in those six times they would never think about situational hitting. All they wanted to do is is knock my head off, and they wanted to just drill a ball right back up the middle and and. and you know, knock me down, you know, hit me, hurt me, whatever, um, and so be it, you know, because they got out of their element. And a couple times I would get guys to, you know, to step out and do different things, and I knew it was a matter of time before somebody would do it. Um, but remember, I always, I wrote the rules. So I don't have to deliver a pitch uh, until I'm ready. And, you know, yeah, you got 20 seconds, but every time a hitter steps out, that 20 seconds restarts. So I had some good cat and mouse games. And then sometimes, you know, I would, I would milk it a little bit then. But it was always initially done for me. Um, the crowd reacted. You know, the crowd reacted at Bush Stadium in a very positive way. Well, that put more pressure on the hitter because, you know, well, and then, if this, you know what I and I was looking at it, it reminds me of wrestling because yeah, you're a, a good bit. guy. At some points, you go to New York, they're booing. Oh, yeah, I mean, wow. it has to be the greatest. You are an original wrestling pitcher. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think of when I see it. Uh, Jack Brink, uh, Brinkhouse, Coast, Cub announcer yep. at the time. 
uh, he told me one year, you know, he said, you know, you, he said, uh, you know, you gain 50 pounds and, and I'll make you, I'll make you a quarter million dollars a year. You know, we were making 50. So, I mean, that was intriguing, but I gained the weight, never got the wrestling, you know. I watch a lot of these brawls that you have. I mean, you're on YouTube, by the way. I know you probably know this, but you're very, very big on YouTube. And some of these brawls, there's one in 74 against the, the Cubs I'll ask you about. But when I watch you brawl, first you usually throw the ball over the guy's head, like out of control. And then you ask the guy to come out to the mound with you. I ask him? It, uh, the, the Angels, the one of the Angels, I don't know if care, it was a left-handed hitter that I saw. Uh, it looks um, like you're asking uh, Fred Lynn, maybe? Not Fred no, Lynn. No, 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 no. But, but what I'm saying is... Uh, Bostock, okay. Lyman Bostock. What, what I see when I watch these clips is a man who looks like he's about six foot nine. I know you're not. I know that you've made fun of maybe losing six, a few. Eight. You've lost a few inches, but is that part of the whole mad Hungarian thing? Because maybe you weren't as tall and as big as some of those guys. Or just tell me a little bit about. I mean, you. There, you're such a, a sweetheart in person now, Al. I can't believe this is the same person I'm watching on these YouTube good clips. Thing, good thing this is uh, radio because I'm going to drill you in a second. And, you know, but uh, you got it a little bit. You know, they, you know, uh, the mad Hungarian and my and my way I envisioned him was six foot eight. Um, you know, he was this monster of a guy. No rules pertain to him. Um, rules pertain to other people. They don't pertain to me. And I, I tried to create this facade that, you know, that, or this aura around me that, uh, you know, other people would just be, you know, incensed by or something of that nature. And uh, that's what I really tried to create. But I also, you know, you talk about if I threw a ball, you know, that a lot of times I pitched in. I pitched in, you know, back then you were allowed to. And intimidation was was a factor for pitchers. Today, hitters intimidate pitchers. Um, but I would take, you know, I kind of like, you know, it was like guys would say, oh, you charge that line drive, you know. But with my motion, you know, carrying you forward and everything, and if the ball went up and in, I took three or four steps at you, say, yeah, I'm throwing at you, just to get the hitter, you know, once again, to get out of his element and get make him mad. I learned how to control my madness and how to channel it and use it to, for a strength. But before I learned that, you know, I mean, once you get mad, you're useless. You know, all this extra adrenaline and all this flow is going, but it's going every place, you know, but uh, productive. So I, I learned to kind of channel my anger and uh, use it to get people out. But, yeah, I, I wanted people to know that, you know, if the ball intentionally or unintentionally went up and in or over their head. Yeah, I was throwing at you. Um, I'll tell you one thing, too. All the fights that I got in or brawls that you were involved in and everything like that. That you started. That I started. I never threw a punch because I also knew that I couldn't afford to break my hand. Well, who, how, Jose Cruz was between your legs, right, in the Houston brawl. Who was between your legs? It kind of, kind of hurt you for, for a long time. The Houston one in the... Um, uh, Cedeno. Yeah, Cesar Cedeno, that's right. Yeah. We show that a lot. It's my favorite. Yeah, and, and what happened was there was, you know, like somebody will come out and make a big haymaker, and, uh, you know, and, and Cesar did. And I got underneath him, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to pick him up and body slam him. Well, when I <laughs> duck underneath him, I got him on the waist, and I'm lifting like that. Simmons jumped on him, 
and I kind of, with the extra weight there, you know, my head ended up between his legs, and I'm sure for a second or two, I'm still trying to lift. Uh, and, you know, and I remember after that fight, you know, you didn't get thrown out of games back then. So I'm still pitching. Simmons is still catching. And Which is crazy if you see the video. We've shown this video a million times before on Fox Sports. And the fact that you pitch after that, if you see this brawl, it's one of the wilder brawls you'll ever see. The guy literally, like I said, Sedano's head's between your legs and he's trying. Everything's going. And then there's Al getting the save in that game. My head between his legs. Oh, that's right. Other way around. Other way around. And um, I remember afterwards, you know, saying, damn, my neck is killing me. And and Teddy said, you got us in this thing. You better get us out. You know, and so, you know, they didn't do x-rays back then. And so I end up uh, getting out of that. And I remember for probably a couple of weeks, you know, I, was, I would have my neck stretched um, and everything. But I didn't, you didn't go on the disabled list. You, you were still pitched. You did everything you could. Uh, but then 20 years later, started the problems with my neck. And, and uh, so that's, you know, about 40, year, 40 plus years since then, you know, I've, I've fused at seven levels in my neck. The two batters in the batter's box against the Cubs. We see the picture. I never knew about this till the Bush Stadium was going down. Then we looked for the video. Tell me about that day. What happened? How does Bill Madlock and another Cub end up in the batter's box? And you're throwing to two batters in the right-handed batter's box. Well, here we go again. You know, this um, Bill Madlock, four-time National League batting champion, never got a hit off me. Um, he was the – I came in the eighth inning of a Sunday afternoon game in St. Louis and, you know, 4-4 tie and had nothing. And I threw, like, three line drives. You know, they were right at one of our fielders. But, you know, like I said, I was got hit hard. And then Madlock was the first hitter. And, you know, granted, he's a great hitter and, and everything. So and it's a tie ball game, and I don't, I'm not going to lose. So I knew the importance of getting him out. So I went behind the mound, came up there, and he, he got out of the batter's box and went back to the pine tar, you know, get pine tar at the, on deck circle. Um, I'm Jerry Crawford's dad, Shag Crawford, was the home plate umpire, and he kind of went after him or, or something and said, you know, hey, get, stay in the batter's box. You know, once you, every time you step out, he, you know, the clock starts. And everything. I think he did it on the second one because, you know, then I'm stood on the mound and I could see him kind of laughing like, oh, I made you wait. And so I went behind the mound and then he went to the on-deck circle and that's when Shag went after him. So I don't know what he ever said to Shag, but Shag came back to home plate, signaled me to pitch. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know when an umpire tells you to pitch and there's no batter in the batter's box and it's an automatic strike, you got a pretty good chance you're going to get him out. So I threw one pitch, and, you know, it was kind of high, but it's an automatic strike, so it's strike one. Well, Cardinal was the on-deck hitter, and Jose saw what was going on, so he jumped in the batter's box. Now, uh, Car uh, Car uh, Madlock is returning to the batter's box because he sees what's going on. And then Jim Marshall said, I've got two of my best hitters against the Mad Hungarian. They don't have a chance, so I'll stand on home plate. Well... That didn't bother me. I'm, you know, you, you, you're playing catch with the catcher, you know. So it doesn't matter if there's two batters there, and it doesn't matter if they're plus all. they're hitting out of order, Al. Well, yeah, they are, you know. So so Cardinals uh, in the right-handed batter's box up front. He's taking a swing at the pitch. Madlock is the scheduled hitter. He's kind of in the right-hand batter's box behind Cardinal. 
He's trying to get out of the way of the backswing and swing at the pitch. And Jim Marshall is standing on home plate. Um, and somebody said, you better look out. And so he's kind of backs up. He's, he's got his feet in the air, his hands up, his toupee off his head. And, and the ball's like going right by his head. Um, and somehow it started to fight. Yeah, we've never seen anything like that. Something like that. And, and I know after the fight, and it was a good one, good 20 minute Why ball. are they fighting you? It seemed like it was all about the umpire. I don't know why they're. Well, no, no. And, you know, what was. What Simmons Ted, Teddy, got Teddy, yeah. Teddy, you know. I guess kind he threw of, the like, first punch. Yeah, you know, it's like as soon as the pitch, you know, he kind of stabbed at the pitch and everything. And then the next thing he did is he hit, hit Madlock right in the jaw. And uh, that started the fight. And then when it was all broke up and everything, I said, Teddy, you know, what, what, what did he say to you? He goes, I don't know, man. There's just too many bodies around me. But uh, Ted Simmons was the greatest. And uh, I always wanted to throw to him because he was going to hit a, hit a bomb or he was going to get the game-winning hit, which he did in that game, you know. But after that, you know, after the fight, I'm, I'm pitching. All of a sudden, my fastball's got a couple feet better. You know, got uh, Madlock out, Cardinal out, got the next guy out, whatever it is. I think it came in the next inning and, or the bottom of the inning or something, and Teddy, I think, won the ball game for us. But uh, that – was one of the reasons why I'm in the a charter member of the Hall of Shame. And, and Ted should be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes, Absolutely. yes. He's the real one. I'm, I'm, I'm the real one for the weirdos. A couple other things now. I want to, we get to your end of your Cardinal career, and Vern Rapp, I know you began had some uh, issues with him, so he has you shave. And I, we went through this a few years ago. With I find it amazing that there is video of the, the biggest brewer in all of the globe is having a press conference to talk about you and your mustache and having to shave it. Gussie Bush has to hold a press conference. He's there with the general manager, and they're talking about you and what you need to do about this. And I just think it's got to be surreal to know that this gentleman, who is in charge of the Cardinals, obviously, at this time, but I think of how big of all the things he's worried about. You know, yes. Budweiser, the king of beers. we got to get Bud Light. You know, all the th- he's, think- he's talking about your mustache issues, and Vern wanted you to shave it, and you thought it, it was part of your persona. Give me kind of a little bit about what was going on there in 77. Red gets fired, and they're hunting for a manager, and, and I guess uh, Gussie, who, Gussie Bush, who really, really, I was one of his favorites, and so was Ted Simmons with the long hair and my Fu Man and the mustache and the color of both of us, but... But, uh, you know, all of a sudden woke up one day and said, you know, nobody at the brewery can have facial hair. Nobody at Grant's Farm can have facial hair. I don't want my players having facial hair. So he was looking for a disciplinarian. And um, I, I know when, uh, when they, uh, uh, Kenny Boyer was interviewed, he was asked about, you know, well, what about facial hair? And he goes, what about it? You know, what about it? You know, it's no big deal and, and everything else. So he didn't get hired. Well, Fern Rapp said, I'm a disciplinarian. I'll take care of this. This is what the way, you know. Well, Vern had a, a tremendous pedigree as a manager. Um, but he, you know, these were the days when there was, a, there, all you had was a manager and he had a, a young trainer. You had no coaches. So you're accustomed to doing everything yourself. He never played in the big leagues. He, I think he was always bitter that he never made it. And, uh, you know, and, and he, he had a, you know, a hard on for people that, you know, were in the big leagues in some, in some ways, you know. 
And so he's this disciplinarian. So one of the things he came up with is, well, we're going to have, you know, no facial hair. It wasn't done maliciously to, to, against me. Um, and I shaved. You know, I shaved like everybody else. And, and I had to put up with every single town, uh, beginning of the year and everything. And, and, and uh, every time we went, you know, there would be a story about the Cardinals and their new discipline. And there would be my, my picture. You know, always up there representing what we had to get rid of. Are you sure it wasn't like, don't let this man in? And I feel like you should have called, you should have probably called like a shaving cream company maybe to get a little money off of this. Um, baseball wasn't, you didn't have a marketing yeah, no, was, situation yeah. like that and everything. It, it, was an, it was an owner's hobby, you know, was, and everything. So they never treated it like a business. And, and in many ways, the players didn't either. So... Uh, and it's a time when you were just starting to get agents, you know, to somebody that maybe, you know, think about those lines. But um, so anyway, you know, we go on and, and do this year and uh, the players, a lot of the players had clashes with, per, uh, you know, with with Vern. And I think Vern's style of managing was um, a lot of it was I will lie to you today to get you off my back, you know, and fully knowing that you're going to come back and I'll deal with it then. Uh, well, that doesn't sit well with a lot of guys. And he would always talk about discipline and this and that and everything else. We had these dress rules. Well, the dress rules were fine for me. There were mo- most of the players had the problems with the dress rules. Couldn't wear jeans, not even to the home ballpark. Um, you know, you, you couldn't show up, you know, you know, even at home in like a T-shirt and jeans and s- tennis shoes or something. You had to have slacks and dress shoes. And on the road, you had to have the coat and tie and... I really didn't have any problem with that, and because I had my issues the other way, I made sure that I always was, you know, dressed above his his uh, um, standards, standards and everything. Because you know, I didn't want anybody to look at that. And and like I said, more players had problems with that. Um, but as the season went on, it, it was just you know, it just kind of was getting to a, a grind. And uh, we had a meeting in Philadelphia. It was like, say, the Thursday night before the um, All-Star break weekend. Um, and we, Bob Borsch was pitching, and he had a team meeting before, and he's in there, and he's talking about, well, I got all you young guys, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, they got a chance to win there, but you guys are doing this, doing that. And, and, you know, and he went on and on. And finally he said, does anybody want to say anything? And Lou Brock and his classy self, and, you know, was the elder statesman at that time, um, you know, kind of stood up, you know, Gibby, or Gibby Adari retired, and said, Vern, yeah, you're right, we do have a lot of young guys, and we do have talent here, but, you know, if, if somebody makes an error, you know, go chew them out, go do whatever you want to do, but don't keep on staring at them all game long and make them feel, you know, make them feel like they're going to make another two or three errors, you know, because you won't give in, you know, like you lost this game for us. You know, go do what you want to do, but, you know, then get off it. And and uh, and when somebody stood up and talked and said something, you know, he couldn't handle it. And he said, that's what I expect from all you losers, you know, winning $25,000, you know, you know, doesn't mean a thing to you because that was the pot, you know, basically for the World Series. And um, he, he goes, you're all making too much money, and that 25 grand doesn't mean anything to you. Well, most guys were making about 25 grand, so it was a, 
you know, double was, your salary, uh, time yeah, or or even half your salary or something of that nature. Um, there weren't that many hundred thousand dollar ball players, and so it, it was kind of like, an, and he walked out on us, and I said, "That's it," you know, you know, I hadn't been happy or anything like this, and and I just said, you know, that's it. And I called, I called the general manager Bing Devine, and I said, Bing, I'm. I just want to tell you, out of respect for you, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to grow whatever. I don't know what I'm going to grow, but I'm 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 not adhering to his rule anymore. And he tried to talk me out. I said, I said I got you know two more calls to make. I'm not sure which one I'm making first. One players' association, or do my attorneys take you to federal court? Um, so the next day, uh, <coughs> the next day. Um, we're in Montreal, so we're in Montreal for the final weekend, and Lee Thomas was our traveling secretary, and he was going up and down, comes or you know, uh, well, I guess it was Sunday, but on on Sunday, he goes, um, you have to meet with Gussie, um, at at Pestalozzi Street, the old you know the Anheuser Busch, the you know the the uh, the uh, World headquarters. World yeah. headquarters, yeah. but that was there. You know, Gussie's office and everything was the old schoolhouse, and you have to meet there before you go to the ballpark. So he comes back a few minutes later, and I said, like, "Okay." So he comes back a few minutes later, and he says, "Well, I'm told. I was told to tell you that that Gussie Bing Devine and Lou Sussman, uh, you know, Gussie's attorney, will be be there." So I go, "Lee, who am I supposed to bring? What am I supposed to do?" And he goes, "I just told tell you, you know." So we proceeded on that Sunday to blow a six-run lead, and he wouldn't bring me in because I had about three-day growth now. <laughs> and, of course, the cameras are showing me anyway, and what, you know, three-day growth was going to look compared to you. And then, like you say, think about the players today, you know, how, how dumb some of them look, you know, with the straggly hair and, and the beards or something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think about this. Um, but anyway, so I, I go to the, I go to the, uh, you know, the meeting on, on, uh, Thursday, I think it was Wednesday back then we only had a, you know, a three day break. Um, and, but, uh, I, I go to the, I go to the boardroom and I'm waiting and I'm sitting in this large room, the conference table around all these family portraits of Anheuser Bush. And all throughout the uh, the room, every one of them's got a beard, mustache, <laughs> or mutton chops, or something until you got to Gussie. Maybe you should change your name to Adolphus. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, I mean, it was like I'm looking like this, and I'm going, I'm here for what now? You know. <laughs> and Mr. Bush came in, and 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 I had great respect because he was the owner, and he gave me this great opportunity to play the game, and and uh, you know, and I still do. And, and very close to Andy Bush, and you know I know Billy very well. But uh, Andy, I guess he's a youngest son. You know, I visit out in California frequently, um, and go to the big house with him on you know once or twice a year. But um, so we get in this meeting, and Mr. Bush is going. He's reading cue cards. Young man, I want to tell you from the bottom, flips it over of my heart. Where not, you know, and and he just goes on and proceeds to tell me that this wasn't Vern's rule; it was, it was his rule, and other things and everything else. And and I said, you know, Mr. Bush, 
if you would have told me along, you know, begin the season, this this was your rule, we wouldn't be here today because I would have complied completely and, and still would have complied. Um, but you let him hide behind it, and uh, we created this problem now. And, and when I came in this door, there's no, absolutely no possible uh, way I was shaving. But out of respect for you, um, I will think about it. And I'll give you my answer before I go to the ballpark. <coughs> and we're going to have to go in a minute. Okay. But, I have uh, one more question. Yeah, no, I was going to say, but, but, you know, and I had my attorney with me at that time. Um, and so we went back to, the, you know, the legal offices and all the partners came in and were giving me their advice and everything. And, yeah. and uh, so the decision was, and I, you know, they said, well, if you're asking for us, you know, what you should do? And I said, well, you know, they said you probably should shave. But that's easy for us to say. That's easy for us to say, and you're the one that has to deal with the consequences. And I thought about it, thought about it, and I said, no, I can't do it. And so, you know, the senior, the senior partner told uh, Gerhard Petzl, who went to the meeting with me, he said, okay, Gerhard, you call Sussman and give him the answer. And uh, just, just to show you how people thought, you know, that when... Uh, when they, they got a hold and Sussman took the phone call and he answered the phone, Al's barbershop, uh, and Petzl said, sorry, he won't shave. And so that's when Gussie came, had the full press conference, like you said, had a full-time press conference, came down and ripped me to shreds. He, he had a very colorful uh, version of it that he said in front of all the players. And uh, at that time, they said, we're not going to let Al Roboski take us to federal court. So he can grow back whatever he wants, but boy, he better be better or something like this. And, and when they, you know, when he, he said, uh, um, he can grow back and any of you other guys can grow back what, or grow whatever you want, but you know you'll be going against my grain. You know, and everybody was going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as soon as, and they said, but we're not going to show this disrespect to our manager, Vern Rapp, and so we gave him another year in a contract. I went, everybody idolized me to everybody was mad at me, you know. But, you know, and I, it was... And I like the Kurt Flood uh, going against the federal court, but still, the beard is a big deal to you. Um, well, you know, you. I mean, it was ridiculous in one sense, but, but yeah, I just, I made the analogy as like, a, you know, a soldier going to war without his gun. Um, it was just part of this persona that I had created. Um, and, you know, it, it just was something that, you know, it obviously it didn't mean anything, but, you know, it, but it was, was one of those things that psychologically it, it was part of my weaponry. All right, we're running out of time. You have to work here in a second. Yeah. I have one last thing, or one and a half, two situations. You go to Atlanta. Ted Turner signs you to a 30-year deal. It also includes broadcasting, but this is a contract. It didn't include – okay, so you're going to tell us a little bit about this. But we've all heard that you were being paid by Ted Turner up till I think, last year, a 30-year contract. Tell me a little bit. First of all, did those checks come on the 1st and 15th still? Like, did you get – tell me all about what happened here with Ted Turner. Hurry up. <laughs> all right. Um, now, I signed a, a five-year contract, um, and basically what I did was I took half pay. Um, you know, when I was with the with the Cardinals, my last contract with the Cardinals, I had them buy me an annuity insurance policy. 
obviously with the money of Van Iser Bush, they could they could pay the policy, uh, and then you can't really deduct it until I start collecting it. So uh, they were able to you know to where handle that. Uh, but with Ted was starting CNN and was cash poor, so he said I don't I can't afford to to fund this, and uh, and then not. Uh, and not be able to deduct it and everything. So he said, you know, how about what's the interest rate? The interest rate back there for the insurance policy was 8.3%. Uh, so he said, I'll give you 10% on your money. And so basically what I did is played five years. And then I, I got paid uh, interest only for, for 10 years. And then the next 20 years, so it's 35 years. So... The next 20 years, then I got interest in principal. Uh, and so that I stopped getting paid December uh, 31st, 2014. That was fun, though, to have. Well, yeah, you know, because it really helped me, allowed me to, when I wanted to go into broadcasting, I didn't want to go into coaching. Um, I basically told Anheuser-Busch, like, you know, hey, I want to do this. And you know what? You really don't have to pay me. And they go, Okay. Your eyes just went up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it was also, you know, that it allowed me to, to, you know, get some experience and do what I was doing um, and, and not have to where somebody else, you know, and I, I could name some names, you know, were dependent on the money and they couldn't afford to, you know, to sit back and not have a full schedule or something where I could, you know, the first couple of years was sports time and then. When that went to funk, you know, I kind of filled in back and forth with the Cardinals on radio and TV and, and uh, didn't have to have a defined uh, schedule. You've so. been doing it ever since. I have the last thing I have to ask you, and this is it because I see, but this is the – Al is now getting angry, which is great because this is how I remember him every day working him. Okay, there's a shot on YouTube. You're in Atlanta, and you run out shirtless yelling at a reporter during batting practice. You've told me this story before. This is what the last one we're going to talk about. What made you so angry that you went out there and challenged this reporter to a fight? And maybe you might punch me here at the end of this podcast. Maybe or not. Uh, I mean, yeah. So what happened that I, day? I, um, the night before, I was in a game, and uh, I was really struggling with Atlanta, and I'm kind of mopping up a game. And it was actually against the Mets and Joe Torre and, and Gibson, you know, two guys that kind of taught me how to play the game. And I remember one thing they said is don't let somebody kick you when you're down. And I was down. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we came into a situation where I was pitching late in the game, you know, and we, we were losing. And uh, somebody got a base hit, and so uh, Chris Zachary was the pitcher, and he squared around a bunt, and I threw one over his head and charged him, you know. Of course. And everything, and I'm, you know, and the umpire, you know, it comes out and both benches empty, and he goes, what are you doing? And I go, these guys told me don't let somebody kick you when you're down. And I said, I'm down. So I'm sending a message. And he kind of laughed a little bit and he said, well, you think they got the message? And I said, well, we'll find out. So went back and, you know, I was very difficult to bunt against. And um, Zachary ended up making an out, still tempting to bunt and got an out. And then uh, Lee Mazzilli come up. And this was a time when I was trying to develop a fork ball. And I threw a hanging fork ball and he hit a home run. Well, I did my mental thing, and, and uh, you know, he's already hurt me as much as he can by hitting the home run, and i got to just sit there and take it. 
So as he's running around the bases, gets around third base, he starts screaming at me, that'll teach you to throw up my pitcher. Well, you don't scream at me. You know, you already hit your home run. Just, just run around the bases and shut up. So I met him at home plate. And, you know, one of my teammates told me I was, just, I, you know, putting the anonymously in the paper that I was a disgrace to, uh, to baseball, a disgrace to the Atlanta Braves, and a disgrace to the human race. But uh, I was doing what I thought was right and everything. So Knox Nunley was this reporter. That and can't be his real name. It was his real name, and the night night before he said, "Well, we ever notice that Matt Hungarian has a flair for theatrics? Do you ever notice when he goes around and starts these fights? But he always makes sure he's you know protected, and uh, you know can't get hurt." So I'd been running five miles around the stadium and everything shirtless, and uh, so I got through, and all of a sudden this guy, you know, I see this guy, and I you know I go, "Can I talk to you?" And he told his camera, run the camera. Now, this guy's about a foot taller than I am and everything, and he run the camera. So I proceeded to tell him everything I thought of him, you know, how gutless he was and blankety-blank. And, you know, so I knew every cuss word I could possibly throw in there because they couldn't use it. Well, they used it, but it was bleep, 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 and you bleep, 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 and everything else for about whatever. And, it, and at one point, you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm calling some of these names and saying something like this, I'm not taking my eyes off a person. And I saw something flash to my left. And so I hit it like that. Well, that's how close they had the camera. Um, you know, the camera guy came in and like this and, and hit them. So then I was trying to blind him and everything. Somebody got in trouble. The Mad Hungarian, thank you for your time. This was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. You were uh, Yeah, I know. One... I'm trying to figure out how to do my job. Oh, well, that's going to take forever still. You've been doing this 30 years. I have a whole notebook full of questions, so I feel like a part two may be coming up here sooner or later. But that is Baseball and Beyond, the Mad Hungarian, sharing some of the great stories. He's going to go do some work now. Follow us on iTunes, tuned in, or wherever else you find your podcast, and follow me on Twitter at Brad Strobinger. This is Baseball and Beyond. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Al.